Well, we are. Uh, this is t- this is uh, January fifth. Is that right? Fifth. Yeah. Two thousand eight, and we're discussing uh, Matthew part two, lesson six, which is uh, a discussion in uh, chapter sixteen. Let's open with prayer. Our Father, our King, we thank you that you have uh, joined us to you. We know that this is uh, that you have done this. Uh, through Messiah, Father. We thank you that you have done it uh, according to your grace and your provision uh, in him. Father, we thank you also that you have given us an opportunity to learn as his disciples, as his Kaladim. And Father, we thank you also that he, as he has spoken, that you have given us uh, authority. And, and uh, uh, with that authority, Father, that we are careful in the handling of your word. And Lord, we ask this morning that you might be with us as we handle your word and that you might guard our thoughts and our speech accordingly. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. Um, Roseanne asked me to finish by starting with the last verse. <laughs> start by finishing with the last verse. So, um, uh, which verse are you talking about there, Roseanne? Was it in, in Matthew? Uh, you're talking about verse 25 for whoever desires to save his life will lose it whoever loses his life for my sake will find it tell you what why don't you uh, find the verse for me and then we'll uh, we'll stop when we get to it raise your hand okay uh, Jeremiah 23 14 uh, verse 16 and 17 verse 18 and verse 22 uh, this is a classic chapter that is not often read in congregational settings. I don't know why. Well, actually, when you read it, you will hopefully discover it. Also, I have seen a horrible thing in the prophets of Jerusalem. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They also strengthen the hands of evildoers. What is it to strengthen the hands of evildoers? Given validity. To strengthen the hands of evildoers is to give them a religious reason for what they're doing. That's evil. So that no one turns back from his wickedness. Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. And this is not in this passage, but everybody has heard the phrase, without vision, the people perish. Right? Like, vision's a good thing. If you look it up, you'll discover vision's a bad thing in that passage. It says, but you've given us your word. There's a difference between vision and word, isn't there? There is. Do not listen to the words of the prophet who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak of a vision in their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. They they continually say to those who despise me, The Lord has said, You shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, No evil shall come upon you. For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and has perceived and heard his word? Who has marked his word and heard it? But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they would have turned from their evil ways and from the evil of their doings. Um, this is obviously, this is in the, in the time before the uh, Babylonian captivity in about, uh, in, in about the 6th century BCE. And we know the outcome of that and how sad it was. Um, 
what nothing ever changes, does it? Last week we touched on the subject of men's tradition and 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 uh, versus the commandments of God. And uh, what we also just briefly mentioned is the difference between the culture, the culture, and what God's word really says. And oftentimes we can confuse it. We can confuse a culture. We can confuse a Jewish culture with biblical culture. We can confuse a Christian culture with biblical culture. A church culture with uh, a congregational culture. You know, the culture is not the issue. And that's one of the things that we need to be very careful in our, in our passing on of tradition. That tradition, although it is not bad, tradition is good if it enforces or, in, or encourages obeying God. Where tradition undoes the word of God, though, we have serious issues. Um, we're going to continue to look at this uh, this week. Uh, if you did your homework, you spent a lot, whole lot of time looking at this idea of binding and loosing, which we're going to talk about. Uh, halakha is the word which is, uh, means to literally to walk or to live out. Uh, we talked about it a little bit last week. Here it is for you. Halakha or halakha with a, uh, a CH if you're putting it in English or K. Either way, it's, but it's a, it's a, uh, it has a guttural sound. <laughs> halakha. And it means to walk. It's how you do what God has said. That's it. How you do what God has said. He says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. How do you do that? Well, you actually can determine through reading Scripture some acceptable ways to do that and some unacceptable ways to do that. Um, what is often the case is that's it's always found in the, in, the, in the Halakha. How much you revere God's Word is found in the Halakha. To negate or undo what God has said by halakha, simply because God didn't tell me anymore, so why should I have to do it, is silly. Because what was the, what is the, one of the greatest commandments in all of Scripture? Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. We say it's two commandments. But how many people think that take that seriously? It's explained away theologically, right? Well, it's, you know, every day is the Sabbath. Then he would have said, remember every day and keep it holy. (laughs) Every day is the Sabbath. Uh, Or the church had the right to change the Sabbath. That's from uh, the Catholic Catechism. Uh, um, (laughs) And they derided derided Martin Luther because they said, see, you you still bow to the Pope. He changed it to Sunday, and you still keep Sunday as well. Uh, what we need to understand is that this describing of living out God's, uh, God's commandments lived out, halakha, is a, an extremely... Don't just throw it off. You cannot obey God without at least understanding how. Because there's a whole lot of stuff he doesn't tell you how. He just says do it. Uh, so it's not to throw off tradition. Don't ever think that tradition is bad. What we need to be very careful of is the, is the aligning of tradition consistent with what God has said, or does it undo what God said? You can you can dig to the deeps, the depths of every tradition, and probably get a good a good feeling about whether it's trying to undo what God has said, or or encourage people to obey God. Um, everyone, if you just think about it, even. Even if you don't like history, you still might be able to figure it out. Um, the question is, what's not spelled out in Scripture? How to do it? Is it left up to a committee? Individuals. Notice up here in individuals, he said, everyone has done uh, by his own counsel. Well, I don't think it's, I think it's okay. So, I'll do it this way. Or, I think that God meant this. Right? But is it, meta, is it, is it left up to a, a few one uh, most most congregations is left up to one with a 
uh, form they fill in with the IRS that says that uh, we have a council. <laughs> Whether you call it elders or deacons or. But remember who has the credentials because he can tell them what it really means. Or she. He or she. Uh, the credentials is what gives you this, the right. Final analysis, you know, who's the expert here? You know, I'm the doctor. And I'll tell you exactly what it really means in Scripture. Uh, you understand You understand the problem. The problem is that men, we have to do what rely on one another. Men, men are, men and women are making a determination of what God said. We're not, we, we can't negate it. It is, it is very much necessary, but we are at a, at a disadvantage, aren't we? We need to know what God says. That's the most important thing. Go to Matthew chapter 16, verse 1. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Did you find it? Yes. Excellent. It's, it's, uh, verse 28. We're going we're to move over to verse 28 very quickly here. Assuredly, I say to you, Matthew chapter 16, verse 28. Is that it? Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And Roseanne says, what's that all about? She knows I won't get here today. Huh? All right. Okay. Well, you have a good reason. All right. All right. Um, he is speaking this to his disciples. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here. It's not, it's not figurative. Some standing here. Who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom? Who's standing there is the first question. And what's the discussion? Uh, actually, here's part of the problem, Roseanne, is your Bible has a break at verse 27, uh, probably at verse 27. Do you see that? It stops at verse 27. It starts a new paragraph in verse 28. Does there, whose Bible does not do that? Okay, okay, there are, yeah, there's about a third in here that don't have that break. Here's the problem. Chapters and verses are not divinely inspired. (laughs) And in fact, verse 28 belongs with the discussion or the description of what happens in chapter 20, uh, in chapter 17. So can you remind me next week? No. No, no, no. Uh, Here's here's what's going to happen in chapter 17. In chapter 17, we are, going to be, we are going to look behind the veil for a moment. Just a brief moment. And in a powerful way that is meant to convey the authority that's being discussed in chapter 16, the authority being given to these disciples because they are the followers of Yeshua, Messiah. That's, that's what we're seeing. And so he's talking about seeing in his kingdom. And in fact, what happens in chapter 17? What do we see in chapter 17, which is what's described as the transfiguration by most people, right? What we see is we see Yeshua on a high mountain with three of his disciples. And he, they see him speaking to Elijah and Moses. Now, is Elijah, is Elijah dead? 
No. Well, it's a debate. There's a rabbinic debate over his death. But, but, but let's just put it this way. Uh, he's not what we consider to have classically died. Okay. Uh, in other words, we saw him die. How about Moses? Is he dead? Yes. Believe it or not, there's a debate on that one too. But he is dead. <laughs> the story goes that the story goes that yeah okay so he is dead and so we see him speaking to two dead people if that doesn't cause you problems then you then maybe you're too mystic <laughs> he's talking to two dead people what is, what are we seeing we're seeing his kingdom that is exactly right yeah it's a it's a it's a uh, it's a glimpse into the eternal uh, what we see is a remarkable thing is we span the visible we span eternity we think ourselves as temporal and we are not and certainly he is not and that's what we see but anyway is that a good explanation for us yes sir doesn't this qualify John yes well John is usually the classic description well John didn't John saw him in Revelation and that's usually the answer given I think it's much more important that it be tied to uh, that Moses and Elijah yeah, the resurrection. Uh, let's talk about Matthew chapter 16, verse 1, real quickly. Um, then the Pharisees and Sadducees came, testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. Is it wrong to test him? If they had not tested him, they would be in error. Do you understand? What test did they apply? They want a sign. That's not a bad test. Is that the end of the test? No. That's the first test, Deuteronomy 13, right? If a prophet comes to you with signs and miracles, right? And they come true, or they happen, they're miraculous, yeah, that's supernatural. Don't listen to what he says if he leads you away from my commandments. There you go. That's the test. So, they come saying, show us a sign. Well, we've heard you teach. Now show us. Are you Messiah? That's what they're asking. Uh, he answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say, I will, it, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. In the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Uh, hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left and departed. In other words, you really didn't want to know whether I teach what God said. You just wanted entertainment. You know, the miraculous. You know, send me five dollars and I promise you'll, you'll, you'll reap an immediate. You know, in the mailbox tomorrow you'll have a hundredfold of seeking a sign. Yeah. Today's uh, that's right. Well, it's not just the prosperity message. Let's be careful because we seek a sign sometimes too. That's not just prosperity no, based. But I'll send you yes, but that is you're right. You're right. The prosperity message is 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 a great example. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter thirteen because I've alluded to this a couple times in the last few weeks, and it's worth spending the time to look at. And I think it's verse one through four. But let's we'll, we'll look here. I left out a verse. Uh, left out a verse there. There, if there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and he gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign of the wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you saying let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you will love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him do you understand he's just identified what idolatry looks like 
There's a reason why why Judaism considers Christianity to be idolatrous, and it's not just because the identity of, of Yeshua as 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 divine. One reason is because Christianity has has traditionally undone the commandments of God. That's the definition of idolatry. Why? Because it's the test of the garden, right? Has God really said, God knows that in the day that you eat the fruit, you will be like God. That's idolatry. In other words, when we say, I'm not going to obey God, what am I saying? I'm like God. My, my will is just as valid as his. <laughs> is that not it? Really, it is. It's the definition of idolatry. So, we see that the definition of a prophet and who should be listened to is the message, not the sign. Correct? Absolutely. So, they're looking for a sign. Why? Well, entertainment, whatever. Yeah, supernatural fun, right? Uh, go to Matthew chapter 16, verse 2 again. He answered and said, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the time. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. The key word there is wicked and adulterous. What did we read in Jeremiah chapter 23? And what were they doing in Jeremiah chapter 23? They are saying, I have a vision. I have a vision. Here's what God really means. And what were they doing? They were just enabling those who had already turned their back upon God and His commandments to have a theological reason for it. To feel good about it. It's okay. Um, not to, not to, not to uh, demote the concept of grace because grace is, by, is the only means by which we stand but it is used by people to say no no we live we live in a time of grace that's a theological excuse for disobedience it just is we do live by grace and it is not by works that we are saved but God is a holy God and nothing's changed the two God theory that was Marcion second century yeah unfortunately unfortunately he was branded a, a heretic otherwise we could point to him and say see you guys are just following him they followed what he taught but they didn't they didn't like him so they cast him out but, but there are so many congregations now sure. who meet under a New Testament uh, label. That's right. And well, I, I appreciate that. Actually, I like, I like new things too. Um, uh, but remember, the new is, not, is neither new and it's, the Testament is not a testament. Um, uh, what we need to remember is that Jeremiah 31 is not speaking of the New Testament when it says, I'll give you a new covenant. If so, then we're still waiting to see it happen being given to all Jews because it says, I'll give it to the house of Judah and Israel, right? 
Um, let's, let's, let's move on. Uh, the leaven of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Uh, spiritual adultery is what we spoke, spoke of. Wicked and, and adulterous generation. That ought to remind us. Remember how we talked about remez, keywords? Uh, wicked and adulterous. To anybody knowing the prophets would immediately remember Jeremiah 23 because that's the focus. Jeremiah 23 is wicked and adulterous. A wicked and adulterous generation is Jeremiah 23. He has identified these Sadducees and Pharisees, not all, but these Sadducees and Pharisees with a wicked and adulterous generation. Why are they wicked and adulterous? Because they have because they have replaced they have replaced the the standard of God with their own standard, and they've said it's just a matter of tradition. It's just a matter of halakha, how you walk it out. Jeremiah Deuteronomy chapter seventeen gives the instruction, uh, verse seven through thirteen gives the instruction for priests to act as judges, and is not to permit priests to decide halakha that would discuss that that would disregard the Torah. Go to Jeremiah, excuse me, Deuteronomy seventeen real quickly. Deuteronomy 17, verse 7. Can you still hear me in the back? Kind of? Okay. Okay. Uh, the hands of the witnesses shall be first against him to put him to death. Oh, that's, that's powerful, isn't it? <laughs> you get to do it. Oh, wait, I changed my mind. And afterward, the hands of the people, you shall put away the evil from among you. If a matter arises which is too hard for you to judge between the degree... By the way, this judgment that's being spoken of here in Deuteronomy 17 is a council of judges, uh, of Beit a house of judges, okay? Or a house of judgment. It says, if the judgment's too difficult... Uh, between one judgment or another or between one punishment or another matters of controversy within your gates then you shall arise and go up to the place which the Lord your God chooses I, I think it's Jerusalem <laughs> uh, and you shall come to the priests the Levites and to the judge there in those days and inquire of them they shall pronounce upon you the sentence of judgment you shall do according to the sentence which they pronounce upon you in, in that place which the Lord chooses and you shall be careful according, to do according to all they order you According to the sentence of law in which they instruct you, according to the judgment in which they tell you, you shall do. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left hand of the sentence which they pronounce upon you. Uh, wow, what's that about? You know, first of all, it's it's it's, uh, and, and it goes on to talk about not acting presumptuous. Well, it's it's talking specifically about the judgments or the, or the judgment uh, for an offense. Or from the fences. Well, how do we deal with this one? This is a weird one. I've never read this one in scripture. Is what people are saying. How do we deal with this little oddity? What does it fall under? Is this the? Is this under this commandment or is this under this commandment? What's the judgment for these commandments? Well, when everybody says we can't decide, there's valid points on both sides. What are they supposed to do? They go to the priests. Why to the priests? Because this is the primary job of the Levites was to preserve scripture. That's it. Uh, you know, people think, well, no, the primary job of Levites was to offer offer offerings in the tabernacle and the temple. The primary purpose of uh, Kohanim, the priests, the descendants of Aaron, that, that's true. But the primary job of the Levites, remember the Levites is a big tribe. There's only one family within the tribe that's offering offerings. primary job is they're living among the people. What are they? They are the ones that are supposed to say... By the way, if you want to read it, I got a, I got me a copy here, a little handy copy of of oh, maybe it, maybe it wasn't written, but they had they sure had to know it. They had to know what does it say? What does it say? What does it say? Maybe they need to go. The problem is that that these things that they said uh, had to be consistent with God's intent. How does how does that happen? Who are the Levites? Who are the sons of Levi? What right do they have? Huh? 
they, 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 yes, they have a right. He gave them a right. But, I mean, other than that, what difference are they than me? I mean, I'm not a Levite. Okay, so David Taylor, he's Levy. He gets to tell us what it says. I mean, what's the difference? I mean, come on, that's not fair, is it? Well, they were called out by God and set aside. Why? What's the history? First of all, what's the name? It's down here, Levy. What's the name? Join. Join. What do they join? Remember Leah? When she had him, she said, Maybe my husband now will be joined to me. He doesn't love me. Maybe now he'll love me. What are the, the, the tribe of Levi is the tribe of love. The people joined to God by love. Covenant relationship. Absolutely. That's their job. They're mediators. There's only one mediator between God and man. Yes, but these are something of a mediator. What do they do? What's the history? What's the history of, of Levi and how they get this they get this standing as a tribe? What did they do? They stood with Moses. One. What happened is one day people go. You know something? We're supposed to worship God. Okay. He said, "Have no other gods before me." What well, we we have God, and just because we have God doesn't mean we can't somehow represent Him. I mean, after all, we don't see Him. We want to see him. I mean, there's nothing wrong with wanting to see him, is it? How about a picture of him? Oh, no, i got a better idea. Let's actually, let's form something that is, that, is, that is venerated. We came out of idolatry. We won't worship other gods, but we'll just, we'll make this calf, this golden calf. And his name, I mean, it's not really him. We'll say it's not really him. But his, we'll be thinking about him while we say his name, while we worship this calf. We'll be thinking about God. And if you look at the Hebrew behind the worship of the golden calf, guess who they say he is? Hashem. They give the four, the holy four letters to him. And say, this is, this is, this is the God. They say they're worshiping God. They say they're worshiping the only God. That's right. And so, you see, and here's the way it's usually sold is, no, so they were idolatrous. Oh, those people, they're like, they're like the pagans. And what people fail to realize, no, is they're like us. We fashion God in our own image. We say he's the only God. We assign his holy name to our fashioning. And then we do what he wants us to do. He's the fun God. Right? We get to party with him. And what did Levy do? God said it, and that's certainly not what he meant. Right? They stood with Moses. You're right. They stood with Moses. My, my suspicion and tradition holds that Moses was like, no, that's too far. <laughs> but what we understand is they did. They said, no, God, they stood for God. And that's exactly why God immediately afterwards says, I give you, I give you this covenant. It's a covenant with Levy, and it's a covenant that has never expired and never will be. It's an eternal covenant. Yes, Levy's different. Yeah, they're very different. So they're given this they're given this task of making sure that we stick to the word. Okay? That's the that standard is sticking to the word. Go to Jeremiah chapter or Micah chapter three, verse eleven. You gotta move fast. I'm still I'm already behind. <laughs> Micah chapter 3, verse 11. Actually, go up to verse 10. Who build up Zion with... Actually, I have to go further back. (laughs) Verse 8. But truly, I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord, 
and of justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression to Israel his sin now hear this the heads of the house of Jacob the rulers of the house of Israel who abhor justice and pervert all equity who build up Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with, her, with iniquity her, he, her head her heads judge for a bribe her priests teach for pay and her prophets divine for money yet they lean on the Lord and say is not the Lord among us? Wow. What was? How were the priests, and, and uh, not just priests, but uh, even broader, how were the levy supposed to support themselves? From the offerings to the tent. The priests serving in the, in the temple, that was their meal, right? They shared it with their family. It was holy to the Lord. Whatever came in, that got, they shared it with the offerer and with themselves, right? Uh, and, the, and the levy, how are the levies supposed to get it? They're living out in the cities, the villages, uh, across the land. How are they getting uh, this is the year Shemitah. This is the this is the year of, of uh, Sabbath rest for the land. And but during that seven year cycle, that seven year cycle, right? There's there's a, there's there's various tithes and offerings. Remember, ten percent didn't apply because it's ten percent times two and a half, maybe or a third. So it's at least twenty percent, and maybe even higher, twenty three and a third percent annually if you're going to count it. And it's not your money. It's the crops of your field. And it's the crops of your field to be fed to uh, at, least, at least a third of that, as much as a half of it, were to be the levy. Uh, they're supposed to eat. That's, that's the food. Store it up. That's the storehouses. That's the storehouses. Bring your tithes and offerings to the storehouses. This building is not, that building over there is not the storehouse. It's the storehouse in the village that you live in. And it's a grain silo in our imagination. <laughs> it's food. <laughs> it's food for those who would. This is how the clergy was born. That's right. This is how clergy was born. Unfortunately, who gets to be called clergy? I went to Southern Seminary. <laughs> Uh, uh, he went to the Jesuits. Do you understand? How does Scripture say you get to be clergy? It doesn't say clergy. Levy. Because you're born that way. By grace. <laughs> now, that doesn't determine a prophet because there are good prophets from all over. <laughs> right? But uh, that does determine a levy. I'm just, I'm just throwing that out here. Go to Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. Now, we've got this idea of what it is that the job of the levy is. They, uh, to oppose those spiritual lies, the spiritual wickedness and adultery that we saw in chapter, the, where the prophets say, I have a dream, I have a dream, to lead people away from the commandments of God and to make them feel good about what they're doing. Uh, the, and the priests, the levy, were not doing their job, were they? Yeshua does something remarkable here. Uh, with regard to determining not what scripture not not what the scripture says but actually how to define halakha chapter 16 uh, verse actually am I skipping too far ahead actually I need to go back a little bit chapter 16 verse um, let's go up up to verse uh, 13 when Yeshua came into the region of Caesarea Philippi does anybody know where that is geographically in Israel recently not recently, you know where it is. This is very far north of Israel, very far north, uh, very near to um, Mount Hermon. Okay, 
Um, when we get to chapter 17, we'll talk about this briefly, but there's a uh, high mountain that says the Mount of Transfiguration. And then uh, what you'll discover is that south lake, the Sea of Galilee. So this is uh, the geography actually is important in discerning where these places are, but actually also mapping how he walked and when he went. Why did he go to Caesarea Philippi? Caesarea Philippi was barely Jewish. It was actually it was a, it was a, it was a uh, Syrian slash Roman city. And it was dedicated to the, to the worship of the god Pan. There's a place nearby there, if you go to Israel today, called Banias Falls. And it's Banias is for Pan. Pan. Uh, so uh, we, we see this, this, uh, uh, this place is actually a very idolatrous place, okay? even though it's technically within Jewish uh, territory. When Yeshua came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, uh, he asked his disciples, say, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist. Huh? <laughs> Why? Uh, don't you ever remember seeing both of them there at the same time? <laughs> Some Elijah. Well, at least they made the connection that Yeshua made there, right? The spirit of Elijah. And others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. You know what they say? There's appointed man once to die, and after that, the judgment. There's no reincarnation. Some people are very shocked to learn that some branches of Judaism believe in reincarnation. Well, you know, as bad as it may sound and as wrong as it is, it is, it is not something unheard of within Judaism. And here we hear people actually talking like that, don't they? Yeah. Or maybe he's just raised from the dead. Maybe that's it. Uh, and he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are Mashiach. And I've written it down here on the board, Mashiach. What is Mashiach? Messiah. Why, why does he say you are Messiah? Where has Yeshua ever claimed to be Messiah? Does Messiah need to claim being Messiah? You'd have to doubt a Messiah that says I'm Messiah, right? <laughs> Listen to what Yeshua said. Yeshua answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, Shimon, Bar-Yonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, is what my book Bible says in English. And the gates of Hades, well, this is really Greek here, <laughs> shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever, uh, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples they should not tell, that they should tell no one that he was Yeshua the Messiah. Wow. Why does he want to keep it a secret? It's a good question. That's not a question that's easily answered yet as we go through this. What we just read is our, we, we have built, uh, not we, but, uh, but various groups have built huge doctrines and theologies upon. Huge. Actually, probably bigger than you think. Uh, well, we have, well, first of all, we have, uh, we have this uh, Catholic, uh, we think is a Catholic concept. Uh, that, that Peter is the first pope. That's what this is talking about. Of course, Protestants in their righteous indignation immediately point out that the, the, the feminine and the masculine used here is not talking about Peter. It's talking about his, his confession. That's what he's going to build his church. And all groups say, but here it is. He's prophesying about the birth of the church. A new people for God. That's replacement theology. And there's no place found in Scripture for replacement theology. It should not be found among the people of God. That's a human tradition 
that undoes the word of God which says Israel is my people Israel and Judah are my people and as one people they'll have one king over them and my promises are eternal if night and day could cease if the seasons would cease then then would I withdraw my covenant from these two families Levi and David no, absolutely not. God is eternal, and His word stands. Eternal means eternal. If He would cast off Israel for spiritual idolatry, would He cast off the church? Yes. Why is it that people feel so comfortable that God would would cast off Israel to establish their own identity? When in fact that very, that very thing that they speak of should put them on shaky ground. Our only security is in the word of God, period. What his promises is, that's it. If God casts off Israel, we have no hope, whether you're Jewish or Gentile. Because what he promises, he promises. He doesn't say, oh, and by the way, I didn't really mean it. He says, if you disobey me. By the way, if you study the Torah, you know this is true. He doesn't say, if you disobey me, I will cast you off forever. Thank God he has not done that to me. He doesn't. What does he say? He says, if you obey me, I'll bless you. If you disobey me, you'll receive curses. But there's a time after I scatter you, Deuteronomy chapter 7. I'll scatter you to the four winds when you disobey me. And what will I do? I will go there, I will find you, and I will bring you back. That's right. And and, and kicking and screaming, maybe. Let's go into it, because I love this. This is wonderful stuff. Oh, by the way, there's another, and I I know that some of us have a charismatic or Pentecostal background. Please do not misunderstand this. But here's a big problem. Loosing and binding is also very prominent within, within that thought, that you can loose and bind spirits. That that's what he's talking about. But he's talking about establishing a, a group of people that have the authority to loose and bind spirits. And that lacks an understanding of the text, loose, the phrase loose and bind. Because the loose and bind phrases are ancient phrases. They're not a new thing. They precede this, where he says it. But before we get there, real quick, is, is this the first uses of the word church in scripture? That's what people say. Remember principle, first usage? I've taught you this before. When God says something in a word first, you follow that word, and you kind of, kind of it means it's something important, right? Uh, and and un- unfortunately uh, for that theory is this is not the first usage. This text was written in Greek, right? We have Matthew in Greek. Whether it was written in Hebrew first, I don't know. It's not important. But we have it in Greek. And the Greek is ekklesia, right? Well, the first usage of ekklesia in a Greek translation is not found here. It's found way, 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 way back. Actually, Genesis. Ecclesia. Jacob. Jacob had a troop. An Ecclesia congregation. Uh, and in fact, it's all the way through the wilderness. It's the congregation of the wilderness. If you turn over to Acts, it talks about it. Some translations saying, the church in the wilderness. <laughs> the congregation of God. The people of God are Ecclesia. Period. That's it. Yeshua is saying, upon my congregation, upon my people, Will I build this? And the, and the use there of, of, of Petra. Petros is masculine. Petra is feminine. Uh, Petra is the confession that Petros kepha. K- 
Kepha. Uh, um, Edersheim, if you have Edersheim's uh, Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, it's a wonderful explanation, long explanation, about how this plays out, both the Aramaic, he talks about the Aramaic, and the Hebrew, and the Greek, and how they line up. But, in fact... Protestants' view of this is probably the most correct. He's talking about the confession that Peter made. What's the confession? You are Messiah, the Son of the living God. That's it. Upon this, my congregation is formulated. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. It, it says the first place that in verse 13 it asked about the Son of Man. No. And, and in verse 16 is the Son of the living God. Yeah. Yes, that's very good, and it's very important. There's, there's a there's a there's a debate among scholars over this phrase "son of man," and it ha- kind of goes two different directions. Some people say it is a divine statement. Son of man is a divine uh, identifier. Other people say no. Son of man is intentionally meaning that it's not divine. Uh, those tend to be more theological scholar or uh, liberal scholars. However, if you look at this and you look at it within the times in the first century, in the first century uh, there was a there was a version of of uh, um, the Left Behind series, and it was in, it was in the Dead Sea Scrolls, and it was found in the Book of Enoch. The book of Enoch, which is the book of, of you know, things that are not seen, eschatological. In the book of Jude, he quotes from Enoch. He quotes Enoch. He does. The first chapter of Enoch is a quote. In our scriptures, there's a quote from the... And if you have a, if you have an, a Bible with apoc- Apocrypha, uh, the Old Testament Apocrypha, a Catholic Bible has Enoch, Enoch 1. There's four books of Enoch. So not, some are not valid, maybe. But Enoch 1 is, is certainly was popular in the first century. And Yeshua makes allusion to Enoch and every time he says the word, Son of Man. Because that's the key. It's tying... saying he's using a popular... A popular, a cultural phrase that everybody knows who's talking about when he says it, and it's, the proof of it is when you get when you get over to uh, the end of Matthew here, and he's he's being tried for blasphemy. You know, he's using these same phrases, and it's just ticking them off, right? But if you go to Enoch, you'll see that the that the allusion in Enoch is to Daniel chapter seven, where Daniel sees a vision of the Ancient of Days, white hair, right, white snowy hair. And he sees one like the Son of Man approaching him. And to him is given the kingdom. That's what we see here in Matthew chapter 16. The kingdom. The keys to the kingdom are given to this one like the Son of Man. See, the disciples get it. Now he's going to turn around and say, I have the keys to the kingdom. And I want you to loose and I want you to bind. Does that answer your question? Yes, I thought it alluded to his claim, his Davidic. It, it actually, I think, I think it relates directly to Daniel chapter seven, and he's using phrases. He's using that phrase because it's popular among the culture of the day. Enoch was an extreme. Enoch one was an extremely popular book. It wasn't scripture. They didn't consider it scripture, but they considered it holy. Yeah. So it was like, you know, it's like a Siddur or like, you know, or like, you know, Talmud as of today. A holy book. It's not scripture, it's a holy book. It's valuable for us. Uh, so I think he's alluding to that. So here's... So you say when all throughout the... When, when Jesus is talking, he's talking to the Son of Man. He's, he's, what is he always saying then when he... He's alluding to this picture. I'm coming in a kingdom. And that kingdom is will be given to me. 
And that kingdom is going to be given to me by the Ancient of Days. It is, it is a kingdom that's going to bring judgment on the earth and peace. So he's not literally saying he's proclaiming his... He is saying... Yeah, well, no. I believe that's, that's, that may be part of it, but I think it's more importantly he's proclaiming his messiahship. Son of man is a messianic term. If, again, first century extant texts would say that son of man is a phrase that describes messiah. Let's move on. Because uh, we've got to finish up real quickly here. Um, he talks about this loosing and binding. And here's, here's what you need to remember about loosing and binding. It is, an, it is, it is something that is found very common in rabbinic texts. texts where if, you, if, if, if a group has termed to be able to loose something, it is, it is that they are able to unloose what is constraining. In other words, if you think this scripture constrains you to do this, I have the authority to understand that that scripture doesn't constrain you. Well, that's, that's a lot of times what... Christian leaders have done well that doesn't apply to you anymore right? okay, that's to lose something that's to lose something to bind something is to, is to uh, you know wrap it up this is, this, is, no, no, this is what it means and this is what you have to do okay right that kind of describes what we're talking about then when we look at you know traditional uh, application of God's word over centuries and centuries what do people do no no you don't need to do that oh you still need to tie though Right, <laughs> right. That that's loosing and binding. Well, didn't they get? He didn't he give them the authority to do that? And the answer is no, because nobody gets the authority to undo God's word. That's the difference. How are we going to do it is the key. How are we going to do it? What does Scripture say? And how are we going to do it? Here's the rules. And he actually says he's given this to this group. I give you the authority to loose and bind. I am the Son of Man. I give you the authority on earth, in heaven, and on earth. To be loosed and bound. To loose and bind something is to give it is to give it is to give it high elevation. In other words, he said it. I I, I meant it. this is what rabbinic things do. When a when a disciple was completely faithful, he was ordained. Right, he was leaned upon by the master. When the master was gone, that disciple could speak in the master's word, master's name. That's what he says, whatever you ask for in my name. Speak my name. And in my name. That's what he's talking about. It's the same as if I'm there. That's what he's saying. It's the same as if I'm there. But you better be saying what I say. But even if I didn't say it, it still has power. And it still has authority. Uh, so there's got to be some rules. Otherwise, it's make up my own, right? Here's the first rule. <laughs> verse 16, verse 17. Verse 6, verse, uh, excuse me, verse 16. Chapter 16, verse 17. But Yeshua answered said, Blessed are you, Simon, by Jonah, for flesh and blood is not revealed to you by my Father who is in heaven. It can't be human-centered. It can't be human-centered. It's me that's making this decision, or it's a group of us making this decision, but it can't be human-centered. It can't be just about, well, what we think is right. It's not human. It starts with what God said. If you want to undo what God said, make a decision to undo what God said, you've stepped outside the bounds of what God's permitted you can't undo what God said. You have to say, nope, that stands. That's the first rule. That stands. No change. That's the rock we stand upon. Uh, next thing is it has to point to Messiah, doesn't it? Verse 16. Simon answered and said, you are Messiah. Messiah, son of the living God. It has to be Messiah-centered. Pointing to his person. What he's done. Again, in verse 21-23. From that time, Yeshua began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. Then Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him. Now remember, Yeshua has just given him authority to make 
decisions. He began to rebuke him. Okay, you gave me this authority. I'm going to rebuke you. Let me tell you what you need to understand. <laughs> Far be it from you, Lord, that, you should, that, that this should not happen to you. But he turned and he said to Peter, Get behind me, enemy, Satan, Hasatan. You are an offense to me. You have, you have not, you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. This is serious stuff, isn't it? When you stand up and say, God said, you better be able to say, God said. When you stand up and say, God meant, you ought to sit down again. (laughs) Because no one can say what God meant. Say what God said. Be willing to take the hit. Uh, Boy, you start talking like that, maybe nobody would be making decisions, would they, about what they think God meant. Uh, second rule third rule remind, reminder of rule one and two not man-centered not detract, detracting from Messiah you know you can't take away from the things of Messiah Mashiach right um, then the fourth rule first, uh, second Corinthians 8.11 what is that second Corinthians 8.11 let's go there real quick and then we're done second Corinthians 8.11 says but now you must also you also must complete the doing of it. Uh, that as it was a readiness to desire it, there you might... You no, know, that's not it either. 8.11, 2 Corinthians 8.11. It's 8.11. How about 1 Corinthians? I think it's 1 Corinthians. That's not, is that it either? 8.11? Yes. And because of your knowledge... No, that's not it either. Where is it? Do you know where it is? I had to read the whole passage, didn't I? Verse 9, But we wear, lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. And if anyone sees, who, uh, sees you who have knowledge of eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Messiah died but when you thus sin against your brother and wound the weak conscience you sin against Messiah therefore if food makes your brother stumble I will never again eat meat lest I make my brother stumble Um, actually I think it's 11 verse (laughs) anyway uh, uh, I think it's in your homework correctly though Uh, your, your, your brother's opinion does matter love you know all things be done for love you love your brother in other words I'll I'll I have a looser standard than you but I'm gonna live by your standard because I don't want to offend you. It's amazing. Uh, what is the cost of being a disciple? Uh, Yeshua talks about his own, his own, uh, his own uh, suffering that is that is going to occur in Jerusalem. It says Matthew chapter sixteen verse twenty four, and with that we'll close. And Yeshua said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What what profit is to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father. This is allusion to Daniel chapter 7. In the glory of his Father with his angels, and then will reward each according to his confession of faith. No. We'll record each according to grace. No. We'll award to each according to his works. That's not works-based salvation, but it's works-based reward. Let's close in prayer. 
Father, we do thank you. We do thank you because you do love us. We know that we would have no standing before you. We know that we could not stand in your holy presence except by the work of Messiah on our behalf. And Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for the grace that you have extended to us. Though we are not worthy that we have done nothing to earn your uh, appreciation and your love, yet you have loved us and have called us. May our desire be to always obey you because we love you. We pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen.